a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Headlines from a busy week in Washington, D.C. Security is the word of the week. A bipartisan group of senators have released a framework for gun control. But there's more security talks with an announcement today of the Family Security Act 2.0. Utah Senator Mitt Romney gives us the inside perspective on both gun security and family security 2.0. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Well, joining us on the line from Washington, D.C. is Utah Senator Mitt Romney. Senator, thanks for joining us today. Happy to join you, Boyd, and, and it would take a brain like yours to identify some connection between these two pieces of legislation. <laughs> uh, and so let's start. Uh, let's start with the the first security piece, and that's uh, gun security and gun control. Obviously, the framework uh, released by a bipartisan group of de- Democrats and Republicans. Uh, we know it's still very early in the process. So we know the legislative language hasn't been rolled out. So most people uh, who wanted to score political points have have called for the vote or called for support of it. Uh, Tell us where we are in terms of the language. I know you've also said that the language has to match the framework uh, in order for it to really work. Yeah, I think, uh, as you know, when you start drafting the legislation itself, you can find that there's some places you thought you had agreement, and then you find out that you don't have agreement. And so that, that's that's you know part of the process, and we we haven't even begun the drafting yet. So uh, it, it, we we got a long way to go. But the the framework itself is something which a number of people, including as you know Mitch McConnell, uh, are saying, okay, that that works because it's. It's really not gun legislation. It is, it is, if you will, safety. It's saying, okay, we're going to have uh, more counselors and mental health professionals in schools. We're going to fund more of that. We're going to uh, do a better job in hardening some of our schools so that there are fewer entrances and those that are are better protected. Uh, and, uh, and, and we're also going to have a setting where we make sure that if a, a juvenile had a, a very serious criminal record, that that information can be available to people that are checking whether or not they should be able to purchase a, a weapon. So th- these kinds of things are pretty straightforward and pretty good agreement on both sides of the aisle. Uh, again, there's going to be no, no interest in taking away guns or in making it harder for people to own guns. That's, that's not going to happen. But trying to find ways to make our schools safer 
and keep you know keep disturbed people from having weapons is uh, is on our mind. Yeah, and I've been dying to ask you, uh, Senator, as you look at some of those things, and of course the the extremes of both sides kind of have their shouting points, or we used to call them talking points. I think they're all just shouting points now. Uh, but <laughs> you you raise the issue of the age that uh, someone could uh, buy uh, a weapon like that, and I thought it was an interesting compromise proposal in terms of still leaving it at 18, but let's have uh, a longer waiting period and some enhanced uh, background check uh, for those that are under age 21. Tell us about kind of the conversation around that. Well, yeah, there, there, there's no question. There are a number of people who, who feel that uh, uh, that people uh, should not be able to purchase a an assault weapon if they're under 21. And uh, and the the uh, uh, the argument is that they're not in a position to have that kind of weapon. They're not allowed to buy a handgun right now if they're under 21. So, you know, add uh, assault weapons to that same list. On the other hand, people that say, well, but these are folks that oftentimes serve in our military. We, we let them have weapons in the military of that nature. The counter argument comes back and says, well, but in the military, they're supervised and and they're on the battlefield, and of course they can't take that weapon home with them. So there are arguments that go back and forth, and and where the the negotiation settled was to say, look, let, let's not change the age at which time you can purchase a, a a weapon, but instead make sure that we're doing an appropriate background check. We're improving the background check technology to include, if you will, the the criminal or mental health record. Uh, of, of people uh, who were minors, let's say 17, 18 years of age, we want to be able to find out what what was going on uh, before they are able to purchase a a weapon. And uh, we're, we're not necessarily going to raise the uh, or, or extend the amount of time uh, before to to let them have that uh, you know that evaluation done. But we're going to make sure there is enough time to check the uh, the criminal records uh, of a young person. And then finally, on the on the gun issue, as you uh, look at this march forward, I know that uh, uh, you've had a number of senators come out and say getting the legislative language. You know, I think a lot of people wanted it by the end of the week. Uh, some are saying, uh, well, that, you know, Senator Cornyn saying that's a that's a real heavy lift. Uh, is there anything you're really watching for in the legislative language uh, that are going to be some of those sticking points or some things that are going to require a, a different kind of conversation? You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I understand that the Democrat leader, Chuck Schumer, uh, wants to get a vote uh, soon and, and uh, wants to get it done, you know, next week. Um, I, I don't think that's terribly, uh, terribly realistic, uh, given how much drafting has to be done and the fact that there's still some issues outstanding that are going to have to be worked out. So now if all the issues are nailed down, Maybe the drafting could could proceed at, at a, a very fast clip, but we're not in that position yet. And 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 I don't, you know, I'm not so worried about whether it's done next week or the week after or the week after. Um, but but I think there's enough recognition that we need to improve the the safety of our schools and make sure that we're protecting our children. This I mean, this is about saving the lives of innocent children. And doing so in a way that does not in any way interfere with people's legal rights to own a firearm. So, um, you know, that that takes some careful drafting and careful work. And we're, you know, we're, we're going about that process, but it's not completed. Yeah. All right. Let's pivot now from uh, that security question uh, to something that you just released today, uh, the Family Security Act 2.0. Tell us about that. Well, you know, we have a lot of programs at the federal government level that provide help to families with children. 
there's something known as the child tax credit, uh, which uh, is difficult to calculate. Uh, it's a tax credit, a so-called refundable tax credit that you can get at the end of the tax year uh, on a per-child basis. Um, and then there's also something called the earned income tax credit, and that has a family component to it in addition to just the, the work requirements in that. And, uh, and there are other programs as well that we use to support families. And, and we said, look, let's simplify all this and, and take uh, those programs and, and reform them, basically start over again with a clean piece of paper and, uh, and provide a monthly benefit to, uh, per, on a per-child basis to families of $350 a month uh, per child uh, five years of age or younger. $250 a month for children over uh, uh, five years old. And uh, and you, you might say, well, how's that going to be paid for? It's like, well, it's all paid for by the money that came from collapsing some of the other programs and and simplifying this. And and that way we get help to families that are thinking about having a child but wonder whether they can afford it or not. Um, we also, by the way, provide this funding. It begins when the mom is pregnant, when she's uh, when she's four months pregnant. So once she's four months pregnant, she begins to get monthly payments as well. That helps with health care bills. It helps with, uh, well, you know, some of the purchases you make, getting ready for a child. So we're, we're trying to make it easier for people to decide to have a child uh, financially and making it easier to c- continue to allow our population uh, to keep up with, uh, with, our, with our death rate. So that's not something that's happening right now. We want to change that. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting uh, looking at some of the the pieces in this Family Security Act 2.0. Uh, one that it you ensured that it there is equal treatment for both working and stay at home parents. Uh, you mentioned the the offsets uh, by really making sure we're reforming and consolidating. There, there's so many programs that are duplicative uh, or that are just outmoded in terms of outcomes. Uh, what are some of the other things that we should be watching for as as this uh, moves forward? Well, you make a really good point, which is the the current um, uh, structure of our of our plans to help families, uh, our child tax credit, earned and earned income tax credit. These programs actually uh, penalize you for getting married. I mean, you you believe it or not, you get less benefit uh, if you get married. It's known as the marriage penalty. That wasn't really the purpose of the legislation. It just happens to be the byproduct of the way things have worked out. Um, and, and by the way, so people of you know modest income that are just getting started in life, they realize, gosh, if we get married, we're going to lose some benefits. So that doesn't make sense. I turn that around and do just the opposite, which is we do have a work requirement to get these full benefits. You need to have worked uh, to, to earn at least $10,000 in the prior year, but that's a combined income of husband and wife. And so you actually get a benefit by getting married because once you're married, you can include the income of both people. So we're going from having a marriage penalty, we're having a marriage benefit uh, to encourage people to get married. And if they want to have a child, to be able to make it easier financially to have a child. So, you know, those are, uh, you know, I think that's a, a very important adjustment. And and then just mention one more, and that is, uh, right now, it's hard for people to plan on what kind of support they're going to get as they have children because it takes, uh, if you will, a tax preparer uh, to figure out whether they qualify for the benefits and, and how much money they'll get. Instead, we're making it really simple. Every child is it's $350 per child per month 
until they turn six years old, at which point it goes to $250 a month. So families can plan on that and, and make their decisions about how many children to have or whether to have children based upon pretty confident knowledge about uh, what they're going to be receiving. Uh, great insight. Uh, Utah Senator Mitt Romney dealing with two kinds of security today, gun control issues, uh, the Family Security Act 2.0. Senator Romney, thanks for joining us on a busy day in Washington, D.C. today. Thanks, Boyd. Appreciate your work. All right. Uh, again, that's Senator Mitt Romney and uh, two really inter- interesting uh, components there. And we're going to stay with the question a little longer uh, after we come back from the break and look at what the senator told us in terms of this legislative process, legislative language, and legislative outcomes, whether it relates to guns, whether it relates to families, uh, and why we have to make sure the process works if we're going to get legislation that produces results for the American people. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Lloyd Matheson. Well, if you missed it, we just had a fascinating conversation with Utah Senator Mitt Romney on two elements of security. Uh, the obvious one that's been the headlines uh, for several weeks now is on a bipartisan group working on a framework for gun security, gun legislation. And Senator Romney also released today the Family Security Act 2.0. Uh, which has all to do with making sure we're supporting and sustaining and uh, promoting uh, those things that lead to the right outcomes when it comes to families. Uh, so I want to stay with the question a little longer. Uh, we always talk about that. It's not about uh, being smarter, as Einstein said. It's about being willing to stay with the question just a little bit longer. And so I want to look at some of the things that the senator shared with us in terms of where we are and what is still yet to come. And so let's start uh, where we began with the senator, and that was on the issue uh, of guns. And, of course, the group of 10, you could now say 11 Republicans, uh, coming out in favor of this framework. Uh, And the senator was very quick to point out that uh, there is no legislative language yet. Uh, Nobody has seen that. uh, That is a work in process. And as both Senator Romney and uh, Senator Mitch McConnell said uh, yesterday, uh, that if the if the legislative language matches the framework, then you can support that. Uh, and what Senator Romney pointed out was that's often where these things get into real negotiations, where you might think you have an agreement on issue X, but then when you write it down specifically, the you may have some points of disagreement that need to be worked out. And that's great. That's part of the process. So we, we applaud that. We encourage that. Because that is how you get to the best kind of legislation. Uh, what we have to be careful of is the extremes on the left and the extremes on the right who are less interested in the policy of all of this and are very interested in the politics of all of this. And many are using it to uh, use in their campaign ads or to use against someone they're challenging in a race uh, by calling for either full support or full opposition to the framework. Well, if if someone is yelling that in your direction or tweeting that in your direction or emailing you in that direction or showing up in your social media feed in that direction, uh, you can say that's politics. That's not policy because it's impossible for anyone, Democrat or Republican, to say that they can vote for this piece of legislation because there is no legislation yet. And so you got to be patient. You got to go through the process. Uh, the fact that we have 20 senators working on it from across the aisle is wonderful. 
And hopefully those conversations on areas where there is common ground uh, can yield fruit. And we can do things that will make us more safe, more secure, that will still protect uh, the Second Amendment right and law-abiding gun owners. So we can do all of that. It's not the, we got to get rid of the fake fight, false choice stuff when it comes uh, to guns and gun safety. And so it's interesting, too, because this is where the language usually gets sideways. So you get this agreement on a framework, and everybody should cheer. That's a good thing. We have a framework that we agree, hey, here's eight items that we all agree should be addressed. Let's see if we can figure out how to do that with legislation. But then you have some of those uh, jack wagons, as we tend to call them, uh, who can't help themselves but get in the way. Uh, There's a tweet that's been recirculating. It's actually a tweet from 2019 from Congressman Eric Swalwell. Uh, And it was a a little Twitter battle going on between Eric Swalwell and Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, obviously a conservative commentator. Eric Swalwell, former uh, presidential candidate and Democrat in in the House of Representatives. And they were going back and forth about who's teaching what in school. And Swalwell tweeted kind of to end it all, you know, please tell me this lunatic referring to Ben Shapiro doesn't own a gun. This is reason 1,578 America needs red flag laws. Now, that kind of inciting language is exactly what we don't need because it takes a portion say, oh, see, they're going to tell you this. But then what they really want is. They want Eric Swalwell to be able to say, well, I think you're crazy because of what you posted. Therefore, the red flag law should kick in and we should be able to take away your gun. Now, I don't think that's how it would ever work in the end, uh, but it raises that suspicion. It undermines trust that the goalposts aren't going to be moved. And again, this happens on both sides of the political aisle. Uh, You also have to look at the downstream impact uh, of all of these things over time. Uh, And this was an area that I thought Senator Romney articulated incredibly well, talking about his Family Security Act 2.0. And this is a, again, a piece of legislation uh, that is designed to help working families, stay-at-home families uh, with this uh, cash payment that begins at the fourth month of pregnancy, 350 a month for each child, goes to 250 uh, once they get to school age. And the interesting thing in all of that is the senator said it is fully offset by the cost, uh, the cost of the proposal by reforming and consolidating outmoded federal programs. Because obviously people would say, well, wait a minute, you can't, you can't afford to do that. And Senator Romney is saying, well, actually, We can do that if we take all of the wasteful programs or programs that aren't producing the right results or encouraging the right kind of behavior. If we can take those out of the equation and save that money, then, yeah, we can't afford this kind of approach to it. And many of the programs that deal with families, particularly families in poverty, uh, often trap them there. And so they're not producing the right results. So uh, as the senator said, this is a chance to get a fresh sheet of paper Scratch it out and figure out what will actually work best to help American families. So two really interesting uh, efforts there by Senator Romney. Uh, and uh, on the Family Security 2.0, uh, he's working with Senator Burr and Senator Daines from Montana uh, that are, are really looking at some interesting ways to reform a lot of programs that aren't cutting it and get to something that might be better uh, for 
working and stay-at-home parents uh, by get, getting rid of and consolidating some of those outmoded uh, federal programs. So a lot happening in our nation's capital, a lot going on around security. We'll continue to watch all of that here on Inside Sources. We'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. Much more to come on Inside Sources. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.